This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Okay, well, should I start now? Do we have anything else to talk about before I start? If we do table (laughs) (laughs) well okay so we're jumping on before we get into any of this um i have to tell the story about what i I was just telling sue before we got on air i saw a video talking about the paris catacombs everybody knows about the paris catacombs this is weird to retell you the story because i just told you this so i feel like the punch the punch of it is deflated but the creepers are listening so I'm still reeling, so just let me be. <laughs> it's So it was a video of this girl, and she was talking about the Paris catacombs, and she's like, I've always been interested in that, and everybody knows, like, it's a vast tunnel system under Paris with, you know, thousands of dead bodies, right? You can go down there for tours, guided, safe, secluded tours in select sections, but there are entrances to the catacombs all over Paris that people go in by themselves to explore. It is not recommended that you do that. She knew that. And her boyfriend was like, it's not, you know, recommend. The reason it's not recommended is not because they think you're going to get lost down there because people take in maps and stuff. It's because there is a vast system of people who are living full time in the catacombs in Paris underground. And what they will do is if you go down into the catacombs with your, with your, <laughs> don't say it, with, with your headlamp <laughs> and your map, you will go down there, and in the middle of the maze, someone will run up to you, snatch your headlamp, snatch the map, and then run off into the dark, and you are left in the pitch black of the catacombs, alone to die. And she said this, <laughs> and I, you know what I did right after that? I watched the Barefoot Contessa to, to calm myself down. <laughs> To simmer my nerves. If anybody is going to bring me peace, it's going to be Ina Garden. Even in... Uh, Her and Jeffrey in the Hamptons. Instant relaxation. Thank God you just said that because (laughs) I actually have to tell you the second time you just told me that, it was worse. (laughs) Isn't it bad? That's really bad. It's really bad. Because I can't stop thinking about me being down there and all of a sudden hearing... Running, running, running. running. I can't. I can't. Like I said, they wouldn't be able to get to me because I would projectile vomit. It's my (laughs) reflex. If I'm that That scared, that might be a good defense mechanism. That's what I'm saying. It's my reflex. They would run up to me and like Linda Blair and The Exorcist. It's just straight pea soup going down the mouth. That's (laughs) me, sis. They're trying to. They're like trying to like (laughs) wave through it so they can get my map, and I'm like ah. (laughs) Anyway. So that's our open. That's our cold open. <laughs> that's it. I actually, I had a different plan. I'm like, can we stop recording? <laughs> is that it? That's the whole episode. I don't know what it is about that's really sending me right now. Like, 
Ooh, maybe I should do the catacombs for like another episode. I know. I know some dark stories about people who got lost in the catacombs and later their cameras were found. So you see their final footage. It is bone chilling because they're filming and they're like down there alone and they're like realizing in real time as they're filming that like, oh shoot, did I miss? It's going down. They're like, did I miss? Did I like miss a turn or something? Like they're lost. And they're starting to get more and more panicked because the further that they go, the faster they're moving, the, like, the more and more their head is kind of spinning of like, oh, my God, did I pass that? I don't know because it's like wicked dark. Every turn right. looks the same as the other one. And then in the middle of them like filming, they drop their camera and just start running because they're panicking because they're like, I have to get out of here. I have to get out of here. <sighs> Never found never found that's the other thing too it's like well did they just die and their body is among the other bodies or now that i have this knowledge that there's a system of other people down there where are they getting their food well okay do you know that's exactly (laughs) what i was gonna say when you were telling me the story i was like i thought you were gonna say they run up and take you and they eat you i thought that's literally what you were gonna say like it's a system of cannibalistic people I mean, nothing's off the table. If you're living down yeah. in the catacombs full time, I would say cannibalism is probably on the to-do list. I think they're probably, <laughs> <laughs> but nothing tastes better than prey that can tell it's hunted. It's a foul Store statement. Fine. <laughs> Store- <laughs> <laughs> foul. <laughs> you are. F- up for saying that that's so funny store-bought's fine <laughs> creepers don't hold it against me this that just sent me i don't know why and you're gonna want to use I'm good tearing. vanilla good almond <laughs> good good vanilla extra yeah how great is that <laughs> <laughs> okay okay i have to calm down because i i that was a wild cold open i didn't mean to like send us into a spiral but that's worth it that story is crazy crazy Mm. oh let me take a sip i actually i had a different plan to start this episode because i wanted to start it naming the creeper who suggested this case and i was like how wild and funny would that be to like just open the episode first word out of my mouth was kendra because kendra it's our girl kendra it's our girl kendra oh Kendra. I know, I know oh a lot God, of people suggested this case, but Kendra's, I think, was the first that I saw. And as all her suggestions, this one is, of course, a fantastic, fantastic story. So, so interesting. Um, but I really just wanted to give her a shout out up front and just like imagine the POV of her listening <laughs> opens the episode and the first thing you hear is your name. <laughs> so Kendra, thank you so much for always being on top of these suggestions, for always giving us a great case to cover because we are going to tackle the story of what happened to Joshua Maddox, the boy in the chimney. Now, I know you wrote a description for this, so you must have like a rough top line, I would say. Like you probably know the base level of it, right? Yes. Okay. And all I'm going to say is when I got to, came to the conclusion that his body was found in a chimney, I was unwell. So maybe that's why I'm still reeling like claustrophobic spaces, catacombs, chimneys. Dark. You knew what we were getting into. You knew what you were signing up for. Yeah. You said today is going to be a tough one. <laughs> I, 
I said, buckle on up. Buckle on up. I mean, it's when you hear it, the, it just the headline alone, it's like instant chills. It probably does the same, I would say, for a lot of people who who first heard the story. But to kind of piece together the initial top line of the story and why I'm so excited to get into this is because this is technically, in my opinion, an unsolved story. I know his death has been ruled as accidental and of his own doing, but that is just completely out the window for me. So we're going to bring theories to the table that we're going to discuss beyond his disappearance to what actually led to the discovery and the circumstances of how he was found. So the quick top line for anybody who doesn't know the story on Joshua Maddox, who's an 18-year-old, he went missing without a trace from his hometown in 2008. Nobody knew what happened to him, went out for a walk, and they, they actually thought maybe he ran away. So it was always just kind of left as like this open-ended question, like, you know, maybe Josh will come back one day. Now, Months of this search would turn into years before they eventually assumed he's probably not coming back, or if he does, it will be a long time from now. But then seven years after the fact, a chilling discovery was made not even a mile from his family home. It was inside an unoccupied cabin in the woods that was being demolished, where the body of Joshua Maddox was found inside the chimney, folded in half with his legs above his head. The sight of that shook an entire community, of course, and it seemingly had no explanation. But the deeper they dug into this investigation and into the scene, the stranger the case got. So this is his story. That's horrifying. I know we we don't want to beat it over the head, but like, I can't think of a case like it, honestly. I mean, all you can really think of is like the boy in the box, but I mean, to find... I guess so, yeah folded in half and and also Kendrick Johnson I guess is kind of similar oh my god I couldn't stop thinking it was like wildly similar to me why Uh I mean especially because if you think about Kendrick's case I think his his shoes were found something about I remember something was found at the base of the mat something was like at the bottom I think it's very shoes yeah well it's very similar to this because of the strangeness of like what's found at the scene so yeah, it was kind of a mix for me where I'm like, I'm imagining Kendrick Johnson. I'm imagining the boy in the box. Very, very eerie. Very weird. One of those things where whoever discovered it was mm-hmm. probably like, I, this, I, I'm not seeing c- clearly. That's That cannot be what that is. And I've never, I don't think, experienced that kind of, I don't know what you would even call that, like... um like bending of reality. I don't think I've ever experienced anything close to that. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I would do if I found a body in a chimney. It's so terrifying. I, I did see a video of, um. you probably remember when the story went got pretty big. It was a bunch of people, TikTokers actually, kids on TikTok, and they were filming themselves because they found a suitcase like washed up on a beach and they were joking. They were like, oh my God, we're going to open it. What if we find a body? Did in fact find a body in the suitcase. No. That must have rocked their world. The thought that like, they were like, oh my God, like we'll make a funny TikTok making a joke about like, what if we find a body? And it's probably like an old suitcase with clothes in it or like something benign. Unzip it to find a corpse. A corpse. Can they post those to TikTok? No, they can't. No, it was like, they posted it as like part one. They're like, stick around for part two. They're like, where we open it. And 
the, the part two is like the whole place swarmed with police and they were like, guys, it was <gasps> legitimately a body. They found a body. Oh my God. Unprepared. I really hope we never come across one. But it feels like something that's in the cards for some reason. <laughs> I'm going to pray not. Please do. We'll need it. So this is the case as it stands. And we'll have a lot. Um, I'm stoked to get into it because we'll have a lot to talk about and we'll have a lot of theories to discuss. But before we dive too deep into this story, welcome back, everybody, to Creep Time, the podcast with Silas and Stu. I know that we had a very, that was a brazen cold open that I'm still thinking about. (laughs) In the back of my mind, I'm like, I'm talking, but I'm thinking about the catacombs. I'm thinking about them. You really, I I can tell that I'm nerved up right now from that. Like, it's really, really bad. I feel like you, I feel like you told me that. And then you were like, toodaloo and shot me off of like from a cannon. I did. I told you, we weren't even on the air yet. We weren't even recording. And I was like, oh, by the way, I saw this video. And then as I finished the story and you were gagged, I was like, why are we not recording? Let's Let's record. The creepers needed it. They did. They did. They need to be on the ride just like I am. Jesus. It's so scary. We should have her on the podcast. I want to talk to her. I want to talk to her boyfriend. Yes. The Parisian. It sounds like he's got the inside, the inside scoop on that. So again, thank you everybody for stopping by to hang with us for another Friday episode. If you have stopped by, it's a creep time. Please follow and subscribe to the podcast just so you get a notification every week when we have new episodes that come out. And of course, we encourage everybody, all of the creepers, to continue to spread the word. Because Stu, I actually, I don't know where we're at right now, but we did hit top 20 this week. That's exciting. Good stuff. That's so crazy. That is super exciting. I was messaging my sister about it and she goes, back at the charts where you belong. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I miss Mel. I know. Oh, man. Mel Gibson. That's the only Mel that I know. Mel Gibson. That's, yeah. (laughs) That's actually you and I, that's our whole network. It's just Mel Gibson and Ina Gardner. And that I can live with. I absolutely, sounds like a Christmas party to me. (laughs) Love it. So, yes, thank you everybody for all of the support recently. It's been a very, very exciting week. We're really, really proud of this podcast and to be in the top 20. I think we're at the top 15 right now, which is, (sighs) <sighs> that's un- that's unbelievable. So thank you so much. And thank you for continuing to support the podcast, to spread the word every time that you continue to comment about us somewhere, or you post us to your story, you leave a review, or you talk about us on Reddit. Even when you rope in your friends and family, it does nothing but help this show and get these stories out. So thank you so, so much from Stu and I. We love you. Yes. Thank you, creepers. We love you. Oh. And with that, are we ready? Let's throw them. Let's throw them. <laughs> we love you. Now get ready. <laughs> Somebody commented recently and they were like, oh, I forgot what case they were talking about, but they were like, try this case. Y'all won't have asses left. <laughs> it got me so good. Well, I didn't have one to begin with, so we're good. Please. Mm. <clears throat> okay. Simmering down. So... Let's first backtrack and get into a bit of the backstory about Joshua Maddox, just to figure out a bit more about who he was. So Joshua was born on March 9th, 1992. Stu's birthday. Stop. (laughs) I don't know if you knew that. (laughs) Literally a year apart. That. Okay. Crazy. 
he um, was also raised with three other siblings in Woodland Park, Colorado. <laughs> I was like, okay. as I was reading this last <laughs> night, I was like, wait a sec. I was like, that's definitely Stu's birthday. Stu has three siblings. What's going on here? Now I feel more cosmically aligned with him than I am probably emotionally prepared to be. But here we go. It's going to be a roller coaster. So definitely strap in for this one. So he was raised in Woodland Park, Colorado, which I'd never heard of before. But Woodland Park is really, it's a beautiful place. Like, it's a really nice place to raise a family. And I think they call it the city above the clouds. Like, kind of like I was imagining Montrose when we went to Montrose. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a very safe community, kind of enwrapped in nature. And that was how Joshua grew up. He was kind of an outdoorsy kid. He loved to camp. He loved to explore. So something like this was really not something this town had seen all too much, like a discovery of a boy like this. So Joshua grew up as a really happy kid. Um, He had a lot of friends, seemed to be popular. He was described by people who knew him in school as kind of a class clown. Um, He's also a young musician. And you'll see some pictures of him where he's playing guitar. He was a guitar player and a singer, and he wrote a ton of music. Um, He also had dreams of getting out of Colorado so he could make it big in the music industry. Uh, And there was kind of this, like, heartwarming joke within his family where it was, like, a given. Like, oh, well, Joshua's going to be famous one day. Well, we don't worry about him because he's going to be famous one day. Hmm. Really outgoing, really close-knit family, and everything seemed kind of wonderful until 2006 when something went horribly wrong. This is before he goes missing. Joshua's older brother, Zachary, took his own life just two weeks prior to his graduation at high school, um, of high school, which kind of rattled their entire family. And his brother showed no previous signs that he was struggling, that he had any history with depression. So it was a complete shock to everybody and specifically to Joshua. He had kind of become very withdrawn. He closed himself off, which I know people like that, where there is a, um, their grief manifests in a very prolonged period of isolation, almost as if they're Mm -hmm. subconsciously trying not to spread their grief, as if it's a disease, you know? It was the only thing Mm -hmm. I could imagine from this. Have you, have you seen that before? Like, it was what I was envisioning is that like people who isolate when they're going through pain are trying not to inflict that pain on other people they love. Absolutely. And and it's so sad because the more you internalize, the more self-harm really you're doing. Um, it's damaging, especially when you're a young sad. kid. I mean, because he really looked up to his older brother and I think he was about 15, 16 at the time when it happened. Mm. Now, That's so sad. I know. So if this family had not gone through enough already, this is when things took a very dark turn. So Joshua went through this period of depression and isolation. And then on March 8th, 2008, everything would change again. Joshua woke up that morning and he was seen by his sister, whom he told, I'm going out for a walk. This was something pretty common for him to do. Nothing out of the ordinary. Now, hours would pass, and he never came home. And it wasn't unusual for him because he's an 18-year-old kid, and he was often sleeping out most of these nights, either at friends. He would often go out for very, very long periods of time where he would go on walks. He would explore the wilderness, etc. 
so they weren't too concerned when he didn't come back that night. Then the next day came, and the day after that, and that's when the panic fully sets in that something is really wrong. And they're, they're kind of getting a flashback to reliving like the fear of losing their older son. So the search efforts of the town and the family were pretty swift and very vast. They reached out to almost every single person they could in that community. They looked in every shelter in Colorado, under every bridge. And they started to wonder, they're like, maybe he, he wasn't missing per se, but he ran away. It was very unlike him to do something like this. But he often did talk about these dreams of getting out of Colorado, and he hadn't been doing well in the last year. So they, I think they wanted to believe that something wasn't necessarily wrong, but maybe he just took off. And he was like, I'm going to get out of Colorado. I'm going to go make it somewhere, right? So he had left all of his things behind. Like he didn't take his music, his comics, like nothing. They really were left without answers. This was kind of the end of that journey or that search. It's all they ever hear of Joshua Maddox. He's now gone until the family gets word seven years later. They would get a call that they found something in that town. And they think it's Joshua's body. That must be, that has got to be one of the most chilling things to hear over the phone. I couldn't stop thinking about I, I that mean, last I, night. I literally have chills right now. Just imagining going through the tragedy of losing your first son, yes. going through the heart wrenching tragedy of then not getting any closure with your second son, probably resigning yourself to thinking something happened to him. And then getting a call seven years later after seven you've years. probably gone through multiple cycles of grief. Well, it's it's kind of, I was reading a little bit more about this, and I think his family, for a period of time, they really did hold out hope. And you could say it was wishful thinking, which was born out of grief, but they wanted to believe that he really did just run off and maybe he just didn't want to have contact with us for whatever reason, mm-hmm. because that's almost a better alternative. Like the not knowing and him just being out there somewhere almost feels better than thinking the worst case scenario that he's dead. And his, I think his parents split up and his dad actually remained in their family home, like decided to stay there just on the off chance that one day if Joshua returned, he would have a place to go. Like he would know like this is home, which immediately I was thinking, I was like, oh my God, it's just like the Brandon Swanson case because they still leave the porch light on just on the Mm -hmm. off chance that he'll come back one day and they want the light to be on for him, which is so sad. So where does this all change and when does it take the sinister turn? So on August 7th, 2015, less than one mile from his childhood home, this is when the discovery was made. In a cabin in a wooded area, um, it's in the process of being demolished, right? So they're going to make way for this new property development. I think they were putting up something like 32 houses or something, and they needed the land to do it in this area, Woodland Park. So it's an old cabin. It's been there for decades. It was owned by a man named Chuck Murphy, and he really had not occupied this thing for years. Like it was old. It was damp. Um, I think back in the day, like in the 50s when it was constructed, it was like an old gambling operation. And then I think later on, 
maybe in like the 70s, 80s, it became kind of like a rental property because this is a pretty like secluded and like sparse area. But at this point, it was becoming more developed. So and nobody had occupied this thing for years. So it was really time to tear it down. So the whole place is like run down by animals and whatnot. They're in the process. We've got Chuck Murphy over there. Um, He sold the land and he's with the contractors from the housing development who are trying to take down the property. So it wasn't even on the first day they noticed this. It was on day two of demolition where they started to dismantle the fireplace and the chimney brick by brick. So they take down the big wall to the chimney on the exterior. And the description of what they found was terrifying. So this is what they described. It was one of the most bizarre discoveries of a body that I had ever read about. Inside this chimney, it appeared to be a decomposed body of a young male that was crunched inside the chimney upside down with their legs folded above their head, like extremely unnatural and tight positioning. It's very, very hard to imagine this, and I was struggling quite a bit, so I had to read a few different sources to understand how he was positioned. But basically, it looked like he... he It looked as if he went down head first, but then like got caught or got scrunched to the point where his body basically folded in half and his face was to his knees. Like his knees are above his head. Extremely unnatural position. Very disturbing. So then it gets even stranger. Um, I didn't remember any of this when I had first looked at the story, but this is so damn weird. So we've got this body. It's found in the chimney. And one of the first details they notice is that um, outside of the scrunched position of the body is that he's nude. He has no clothing on whatsoever. You didn't know that part, did you? I I actually did oh, you know. Did? I remember that his clothes were folded up. Yes. So he's by him. Well, we don't know if it was by him. That's the thing. Or not by him. That's right. Oh, right, We're, right well, by, him. by him. By him. Proximity. <laughs> gotcha, <Yeah>. Sorry. <laughs> oh, the challenges of communication. I know. <laughs> so very, very striking, unusual image. Scrunched up, folded in half. He's completely nude. Looks like a young male. But again, it's it's been so much time has passed and he's so far decomposed. They can't immediately tell. He's like unrecognizable, right? So it's odd to think, but for some reason, when they did see the body, although they could not recognize who it was, everybody immediately thought, oh my God, Joshua Maddox. It's that kid that went missing all those years ago. It was like the first thing they thought about. So the scene inside is inspected because suddenly it becomes a potential crime scene. And as you can imagine, it is a goddamn nightmare because this is the middle of a demolition site, which has now been in the process for almost 48 hours. So the place is totally disrupted. It's a wreck. But one of the first details they notice on the inside is that the fireplace, like the actual fireplace, seems to be blocked by a really large piece of furniture, like a breakfast nook or a hutch. It was very intentional because they found evidence that it was ripped from the wall. Ripped from the wall. And then it was basically put in front of the entire fireplace to block anything from coming in or out of the chimney. That's strange. That's pretty strange. Super strange. Yeah. Now, it would be weeks following the removal of the body and forensic testing before the remains are officially confirmed and the news is solidified for the parents. This was the body of Joshua Maddox. And it was 
absolutely devastating. Like they were completely broken from this because as painful as it was to deal with their previous son's death and then this disappearance, the the not knowing of Joshua Maddox, what it did allow for them was that sense of belief that he could still be out there somewhere, somewhere and he might just come back one day. This was a sense of closure to that in a really sad way. But it's very mysterious. So the CBI, the Colorado Bureau of Investigations, they take over the case from what I was reading. And they're kind of working in, in conjunction with either the local or the county coroner. County, step one. Uh, so they're trying to figure out, like, how do we rule the death? Like, we're looking at the body. He's seeing no visible signs of blunt force trauma. There's no sign of a gunshot wound or any kind of stab wound, like any, like, nicks on the bones. So he rules the death as accidental. I'm going to pause it a second, but I'll finish up these last couple of paragraphs. Um, He rules the death as accidental. The story that he suggests is that Joshua Maddox, for whatever reason, wanted to break into the cabin, but rather than go through a window or a door, he went up onto the roof and climbed through the chimney where he dove headfirst down, nude. The coroner then suggests that he wedged his legs um, somehow like above his head and basically got himself caught, was folded in half where they believe he died of either dehydration in several days or maybe hypothermia overnight. How How was that landing for you? Because let, let's recap. Jumps down a chimney nude. I would like a second opinion. Like, <laughs> I, I just don't care how much of a teenager you are or how lost you might be or the grief you're going through. Mm -hmm. I just don't know who in their right mind would do that. It's nonsensical. I mean, the only thing that could explain somebody doing that of their own volition would be drugs. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, or just like, I I really, first of all, what strikes me about it is I feel like a kid that's going through that kind of pain of a loss of a brother mm-hmm. is not the same kid that I would say like, oh, they were just being erratic and d- doing something stupid and they decided to climb down a chimney. Like mm-hmm. th- those two types of people or personalities, it just doesn't feel like it aligns with what he had been going through. Does that make sense? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know if that was what the coroner was proposing to. Like I was trying to understand like, well, is the story that he was doing this like amongst friends, trying like trying to impress mm-hmm. them, and then something went wrong, or, or are they suggesting he did this alone, or was he doing it intentional? Like it just none of it. I could not understand the rationale for it. Did it make sense? Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. I'm like whether he was with friends trying to show off, mm-hmm. or he was alone doing something, you know, stupid. I just don't think somebody that's going through what he was going through and seemed like, you know, he liked to take his solo walks and I'm sure that was peaceful for him. Mm-hmm. I just don't see him all of a sudden deciding to jump down a chimney nude. Not at all. Not at all. But it seemed like the only thing he, the coroner could give us because again, there's no visible sign of trauma to the body. Like it's really difficult to prove like, was he in a fight? Was he harmed? Was he shot? Was he stabbed? Was he strangled? Like, they just couldn't prove any of it. So they're like, okay, then our logical assumption is that he was 
in the chimney alive. So how does that happen? I guess you jump down the chimney. That's all he gave us, really. But again, it seemed like such a strange and nonsensical default that I was like, I I think we need a second opinion. (laughs) I think we should call Mm -hmm. state. So the whole community hears this. Everybody is dismayed with the answer. It's totally nonsensical. Everybody's on board. And this family is without answers. And really, I think the, the one person to really credit here who upset the entire investigation was the owner of the cabin, Chuck Murphy. He was insistent that they reopen this case and take a second look at it because he's like, from all the questioning, all the testimony I gave, I was willing to give more. He just got this overwhelming impression that the police were either being extremely lazy and did not want to touch this, or that they had a better reason to downplay the strangeness of it. So he just couldn't really make sense of why they weren't trying to take a deeper look because it was so unusual to him. And again, it happened in his cabin. He was like, I feel like I have, you know, I haven't lived there in years, but I feel like I have the best knowledge of that place because I did actual construction work on it. So the owner, Chuck, actually met with the coroner. I didn't know any of this. Basically to have it out with this guy on his ruling. And he's like, listen, what you're proposing is actually impossible because I was there for the demolition. Like I saw the discovery of the body and he had previously installed these like metal um, grates at the top of the chimney, which a a lot of people do, I think, to prevent animals from getting in, right? Mm -hmm. They were still in place by the time Joshua was found, by the time the demolition day was there. So he's trying to make sense of what the coroner's saying. He's like, so what you're suggesting is that this kid climbed up on my roof in the nude, pulled out the metal grate, somehow climbed in head first while simultaneously putting the metal grate back on Mm -hmm. and then got wedged in. He was like, it's impossible. And the coroner is livid. Like he's pissed because he's like, who is this guy trying to tell me how to do my job? Like I've seen a lot of crime scenes. I've seen bodies. You don't know what you're talking about, buddy. And it's this huge point of contention. So like any good sleuth, Mr. Chuck Murphy, he's like, okay, well, the hell with you. I'm going to go straight to the media to tell them what I know for a fact and what I saw on the day of the demolition. The grate was still there on the chimney. And this kid was bent inside, stuffed inside the chimney nude. Like hats off to this guy, because sometimes I would say the media can be your best friend when county is rotten to the core. Ain't that the truth? Ain't it the truth? Like, they rotted. They're rotted. Also, let's talk about the fact that he could be the number one person that people would want to, like, point at. I mean, it's his property. And totally. he's the one saying, let's take another look at this, please. Oh, like, yeah. He didn't have to do this. Not at all. I mean, if anything, he's the one selling the land. So he would have more reason yeah. to be like. We should, I mean, I don't know what the hell this is, but we should downplay it. Or like, I don't want this getting too big with Mm -hmm. the press. I think he was just as broken for the family as the family was themselves and like clinging on to anything for answers. But clearly this looks like something that was done with the intention of somebody else. This is not just Joshua. So he was, I think, just really broken at the idea that like county officials didn't care to look deeper into it. It was like time to go to the press. That's what he did. Press is press. Press is press. That's also going on merch. We'll have a meeting after. 
<laughs> but this gets even stranger once the additional details come out about what was found at the scene. Now, because this owner, Chuck, um, <laughs> he's like a wild card because he's feeling distrustful of the county coroner and the police. So he starts to provide details to the media that not even the police have disclosed. So this is like the shocking reveal. At the base of the chimney was a neatly folded pile of clothing, all of which belonged to Joshua. Pants, underwear, socks, shirt, everything he would have been wearing. Something that police did not reveal because it seemingly countered what the coroner's description of events were. I smell trouble. Immediately. I was like, something's off. So the community catches on, and there is a ton of outrage. Media coverage goes national on this. So much so that they actually do end up getting the case reopened, which I also did not know. Because it was just illogical any way that you slice it. He was already inside the cabin, it seemed like, and then he got nude and then climbed up the chimney. Or is he inside, he got nude, went outside, climbed on top of the roof and went down the chimney because he's found upside down. So it's head first. Like none of it made sense. Which then led to another theory um, that police put out to say that the illogical tract of all of this um, in, in his thinking and his behavior could suggest this is a kid who was on some heavy drugs. Now, of course, it had been years, so they can't test a body at this point for any kind of drugs in the system. And although his family was very insistent that he never did drugs, the family does not always know. In fact, I would say they're probably the last people to know whether or not your kid is doing drugs. But to his credit, I mean, they didn't report finding any drug paraphernalia in or around the cabin. But he could have taken something that was just in his pocket. Like, he could have taken LSD. Right? I guess. But, man, to... I mean, it would have to be something heavy like LSD. Like a total hallucinogen Mm -hmm. that would make you... Or make you feel sort of invincible. Like you're going to climb a cabin and go through a chimney. I mean... Yeah. Well, I mean, one thing does seem clear is that the most logical point of entry here if we're you know taking chuck murphy's description to heart that he's like the metal grate was on the top of the chimney like for him to slide down head first to come from the top at all not possible so it seemed like the only logical point of entry was that he went up the chimney why we don't know so it leaves us with these questions if that was the case why was he nude Why and how was the breakfast nook, the hutch, placed in front of the fireplace to block it? And how was he found upside down, folded, from climbing up a chimney? At this point, I think the coroner actually conceded that if the scenario was him going up the chimney, based on the position that he was found in, it's possible it would have taken two other people to stuff his body up there in that position. But despite all of this evidence, really, the death is ruled as accidental permanently. I think even after they reopened the case, which effectively closed any chance for another look, like a second, third, fourth opinion on the case. And they approved the remainder of the demolition, I think, following this closure. So the crime scene is destroyed. And although his family, they now have his remains, what they don't have are answers on his death. Something about that is really, really strange. 
I I had a thought where I was like, did he did he maybe take off his clothes? I don't know why he would have done this. Mm-hmm. Take off his clothes and decide to like scale the chimney from the inside. I and thought then that too. Got up and then sort of started to like slip and then got stuck. Okay, like, that I, made sense to me. I was like, I can see somebody who's like kind of Spider-Man crawling up a chimney, even though. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, actually, I don't even know if I can see that, to be honest. Like for you to be folded to the point where like, your knees are touching your nose. That doesn't make sense to me. Well, well, that's the thing. I'm wondering if he somehow was able to like Spider-Man scale, got too narrow, slipped, and then his body, like while gravity was pulling him down, like, like contorted. Pulled the legs up, upwards. Yeah. Yeah. It's possible. I mean, however he was placed in there, whether it was, you know, him doing it and he fell or he was trying to squeeze, I don't know, down the chimney. I don't know how that would be possible. Or he was shoved up there. The contortion on his body was so egregious that they described finding the legs as disconnected from the body. Like they were barely mm-hmm. still attached to his like his lower half. I, I'm still having a tough time envisioning, even if he's Spider-Man, like slithering up the chimney. I don't know why he would be unless he was on drugs. I I still can't imagine like how both legs somehow get above your head, even if you slip down. You know, I would think that like if you fell straight down, you would fall straight down. If anything, maybe your knees, if you tried to like jerk your knees, they would get crunched. It just didn't make sense. Okay, well, here's the other thing that I think totally just disproves it regardless is let's say he was like he wanted to get nude Spider-Man crawl for whatever reason to prove he could do it mm-hmm. or was curious. What about the breakfast nook? Why would you that's the enclose yourself in? That's the thing. That's 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 what's off. So then I so I'm trying to give play devil's advocate with myself here and give benefit of the doubt to the coroner. And I'm like, all right. So what is the logical scenario if we're like dead sure there's no way he came down the chimney? He went up the chimney. I'm like, why is he doing that? How does the breakfast nook play into it? So in my mind, I'm like, is he hallucinating to the point where he thinks something is after him and there's no additional room to like hide yourself in in the cabin? Is he like, I have to hide in the chimney, rips the breakfast Mm. nook from the wall, backs into the fireplace with the breakfast nook to hide himself in, is still hallucinating and in the process is trying to like climb up the chimney to hide further up. And while that's happening, he slips falls down like you're saying the legs go above the head he's stuck in this like contorted crunched position where he eventually just dies from dehydration what that does not explain is the nudity and the peaceful articulated folding of the clothing that is so weird doesn't make sense to me but that's I, the thing is too it's like we i almost wish there was another sliver of evidence here to keep discussing like okay well there has to be one additional detail like something else found at the scene something on his body but there really was no evidence of like physical trauma from what was still there and i thought i was like well how could you really tell if he was like strangled per se you technically can't because the flesh is like basically decomposed to nothing but as we learned with the mitrice richardson case a lot of times when there's an aggressive strangling it's so aggressive that your throat gets cut up 
and you might mm. cough up blood. So you might have like a pink tint to your teeth. It's not always, but that could be a telltale sign that this person was strangled when they died. Maybe. It's feeling more and more like something went wrong mm-hmm. where he died. There was a panic moment and somebody knew about this cabin and was like, uh, let's just shove his body into a chimney. Like to me, that sounds very mm-hmm. like a juvenile school thought, like shove it into a chimney. But it worked. I mean, it, it kind of made sense. Well, especially if like he was he was up there in a place where he wouldn't fall. But even if it was the concern about like the smell, it's the strategic placing of the breakfast nook directly in front of the fireplace to block any smell or god forbid if he slipped down which it's amazing he didn't eventually it's it seems strategic to hide totally and here's the other thing let's say he was still alive and Mm -hmm. was hanging out with a group that was the wrong crowd and they were gonna do something to him and shove him up this chimney or whatever Mm -hmm. there's no way they shoved him up there alive you don't think so? No, I don't think so. Can you imagine somebody trying to shove you up a chimney and you fighting with all your might? I mm-hmm. mean, to get somebody up into a chimney. That's fair. I feel like would require so much strength to, to get them up and shoved like at the right angle that they're not going to fall down. A lot of people were talking about that. I was reading about this online. They were saying, well, it seems like he was alive because people were saying, well, what about rigor mortis? But I don't think rigor mortis sets in after someone's dead for at least two hours. Like you have a window yeah. where before like the body is stiff. But definitely the problem with that is, is then it becomes a question of how did he die? If we have no actual evidence of trauma, unless it's an overdose. Overdose could be an overdose. That's actually, yeah, that's actually, a think about that. He leaves the house. Mm-hmm. I don't know, goes out to hang with some people, escape his own grief, mm-hmm. ODs, and they're like, we got to, we got to dispose. Yeah. Like, like we'll, we'll be culpable. Be... We'll be, cul- we provided the yeah. drugs. This kid's yeah. dead. Got to, let me go through. Actually, I should, we're getting ahead of ourselves because my next thing is theories. So yeah. I think my next thing is theories. Is it? Oh, wait. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I was like, where am I in this research? <laughs> All right, so the first theory here um, was hypothermia, which I had never considered, but hypothermia to explain the bizarre thinking, but the lack of evidence that there was drug paraphernalia or that he was taking drugs. Because we're like, okay, well, if we give the coroner, you know, his moment and we're like, yep, this is accidental, it's of his own doing, how does that make sense? So Joshua would often isolate from people in his depression after losing his brother Um, And it did not seem off the table that he would go out and stay out all night. So what they're suggesting is that he would often, like, go into abandoned places and he would, like, crash there for the night because he was in such a depressive, isolated state. So they're saying he broke into this cabin basically to hang out. And while he's kind of waiting around alone, just, like, hanging out for the night, thinking he's going to crash over there, um, it becomes so cold that he falls victim to hypothermia. So it was in the 20s on the night that he vanished. So the theory is suggesting the possible paradoxical effect of hypothermia where he started to feel really hot because it was so cold. So he starts strategically undressing. Like he's still kind of of sound mind, but he's like, 
my God, he's like, I'm burning up. And he takes off all of his clothing. He's alone, so it makes sense to do so. Because the removal of the clothing is what a lot of people... It confuses a lot of people when you think about, like, the group scenario or, like, the friend scenario. Like, mm-hmm. what is that about? So they're thinking, he's so cold. He thinks he's getting hot. Takes off his clothing. That's step one. Then it suggests that the extreme temperatures, once he has no, cold, like, clothes on, sends him into, like, a fugue. So he's thinking – his thinking becomes impaired, and he feels compelled to crawl up into this chimney while he's nude. It then suggests what you said, where he like slipped, contorted his own body. He's now scrunched inside the chimney, and eventually he would just die there from hypothermia, from dehydration in several days. It's very far-fetched, but it's not impossible. What throws this all off, I guess, would be the absence of acknowledging that he blocked himself into the chimney with the breakfast nook. The damn nook. The breakfast nook, yeah. Unless that's part of, like, the confusion. Folds his clothes in the beginning. Now he's, like, really going off because the cold is getting to his head. So he's like, I gotta gotta burrow up inside this chimney because that'll be warm. So he, like, rips a breakfast nook off and he, like, puts it in front of him in the fireplace and he's like, this is insulated. Like, I I can just, I'm trying to imagine, like, that disconnected, confused thinking when you're so cold that, like, you're starting to become illogical. But but even if that was the case, what, why would you then climb up into the chimney? Like if you're in that the base of the chimney and you pull the nook in, mm-hmm. to me, that's enough insulation. It's difficult to rationalize the irrational. I mean, clearly it's somebody who's doing this is not of sound mind. So it just takes one mm-hmm. minor thought to like make you think that's the right thing to do. That's the smart thing to do. Climb up higher mm-hmm. or something. It's possible and it would explain effectively the lack of existing evidence outside of the clothing at the base of the chimney. And it would also explain how he really had no injuries that suggest he was harmed. I just had a thought. Mm -hmm. What if he was hanging out with some people? Okay. They pranked him basically and were like, Go, you know, like go look in the chimney or whatever, all of a sudden shove the nook and they're like, ha ha, run off because they're on drugs. Forget that they left him in there. Uh huh. Night, the night's starting to unfold and he's like, I got to get the hell out of here. Maybe he can't move the nook. No, he's way. trapped. And so he's like, let me try to climb out of here. Oh, so do you think the nudity was part of that though? Oh, you know what? Actually, maybe? maybe because he's like, I don't want to get my clothes dirty if, yeah, if I'm going to do yeah. the dare. Like, but I don't know. I mean, it's a, it's a well, not even a dare. I'm saying like, like somehow they uh, maybe it was a dare, but mm-hmm. something to me feels like he got into the chimney mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden it was like whoosh, he was enclosed in it. And then he was started to freak out and was like, I got to get the hell out of here yeah. and then started scaling the chimney and got stuck. So how does the removal of the clothing play into it, though? Because I wonder if his clothes hanging off of him was making it hard for him to scale to try to get out. I should be clear. The clothing was folded, I think, outside of where the breakfast nook enclosure was. It's inside the cabin. So I was was totally on track with you until that part because I'm like, 
I could still see a scenario where it's like friends pranking him and they're like, I dare you to climb, like scale the chimney, go up the chimney. Mm-hmm. And he's like, fine, I'll do it. But I'm going to take off my clothes because like I don't want to get soot everywhere. Takes off his clothes. I mean, it's it's really over the top to think he would get completely nude, but I guess it's possible. Yeah. Starts going up the chimney for the dare and then they rip off the breakfast nook and they enclose him in. And then he's stuck, like you're saying. And he's like, oh, my God, I got to get up there or I got to get out of here. That's, yeah. It's I would say it's just as far fetched as the hypothermia one, but it's not impossible i was gonna say it doesn't have legs but it has toes yes (laughs) i don't know what it has something something about it feels like it's in the right i can i can imagine pieces of it but maybe this will actually color this a little bit more if we're talking get like leaning into the idea that there was somebody else or another group of people involved so there is another theory that this was a love interest or a hookup gone wrong this is very interesting Mm. to me So this is a theory to kind of explain the delicacy of how the clothing was folded because it seemed unrushed. It seemed like I'm planning to be here for a little bit. I don't, I want to like lay my clothes out so that I can put them back on in a little bit. So it's suggesting that he had gone to this cabin, knew it was an abandoned cabin. And he is an, you know, he's a teenager. He's 18, finds an abandoned place to hook up as you do. It is possible that he was there. He was intimate with somebody. Something went wrong. And because of the state of decomposition, we can't exactly tell if something external had killed him, even though we know there's no signs of blood force trauma, strangulation, the gunshot whatsoever. So maybe it is the drug overdose. They're going to take drugs together. They're going to hook up. This person panics, tries to stuff the body up the chimney, and then blocks it with the fireplace um, blocks the fireplace with the breakfast nook, like we said before. So this is probably suggesting a lot of people have said, were they hooking up in this abandoned place because it's a gay hookup? So it's something they're doing in secret. It's a man who's in the closet. They're both in the closet. It will out this other guy. It will also convict him because he provided the drugs. So it's a blending of a couple of different theories here. Does that feel like something? See that, and I hate to say it for my fellow ladies, but in my mind, when you started saying that, I was like, no way a a young teenage girl got his body Mm -hmm. stuffed up into a chimney. It's it's certainly not impossible. The only thing that made me think it would have to, it has to be somebody big or at least bigger than mm -hmm. Josh and somebody very strong because the coroner's like if he was yeah. shoved up that chimney it would take like one to two people one to two people to get him up there which in my mind I'm like could be a a guy could be a big guy who's bigger than Joshua yeah gay hookup maybe i don't know i mean and it's weird cuz like you know when we think about 1046 i remember we threw out a theory that was kind of similar to that like mm-hmm. something about I don't know why at when you tossed it out, I was thinking like an older person or something that mm-hmm. he shouldn't be hanging out with. Yeah. And that there's that. Oh, that's a whole other layer. That's like a whole other disgust thing. with yourself. Yeah. yeah. That you're like, let me just. And it's like all of a sudden all the care goes out the window mm-hmm. and you're just like, like trying to dispose of them like that, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's it's people do a lot of horrific and insidious things when they think that their entire life is on the line. Like if we're painting this picture mm-hmm. of like. 18-year-old Joshua Maddox is hooking up with a guy in town 
who's not out, maybe married, maybe has kids, has a family much older than Mm -hmm. him, like a big scandal. So they're hooking up in this abandoned cabin in the woods. And the other thing that gives me an interesting tell to this is that his family and his siblings said it was normal for him to spend the night sleeping out. Like overnight sleeping somewhere. No girlfriend to know at the time, but like that's that feels like something. Yeah, that's weird. And and that he didn't say like, oh, I'm or maybe remind me, did he say I'm going out to meet friends or anything? Or he just said, I'm going on a walk. Going on a walk. Ends up at that's, this cabin. That's odd. I something about this, I can't explain it. It's something like in my soul. I'm like, I really something about it makes me feel like there might have been like a guy, a love interest involved. Mm-hmm. And that guy had a mm-hmm. lot to lose if this came out outside of like however the kid died. If he died of a drug overdose, he would have been outed. They both would have been outed. If we can somehow piece together the logic behind the nudity and the nook, mm-hmm. then. The nook definitely the, reads as foul keys. play or like at least cover up. So yeah. the nook reads to me as like either you killed this kid or he died of a drug overdose. And then you put the body up there. Somebody put the body up there. I know that to be true. It has to be true. And then they tried to hide it by putting the breakfast nook there. The only red herring here has really been the nudity and the strategically folded clothes. So either Joshua Mm -hmm. took off his clothing himself and very delicately folded those clothes, meaning he was not in a rush, meaning he was maybe with somebody where he was calm and comfortable to get nude, or... This could have been much darker. It could have been in the vein of sexual assault that went wrong. And then that person felt immense guilt and folded the clothes. We've we've talked about this. I also thought about Jalea Davis when I was reading about this, about the folding of her yes. clothes. And I was like, there's something to that. Like, I don't know if it's there's a something guilt about, or something. Yeah, it's like a ritualistic, like it's like a burial yes, yes, thing. Yes, 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 yeah. It's like a, it's the final piece of them that's left behind. And you're like, I'm sorry for what I did to you. You know, it's like care and for also like something of theirs. Yeah. And the nook, if we're thinking about it in that vein, could also be sort of like a ceiling shutting the door yes. on. I didn't just do that. It's not real. Nothing weird just happened. Tuck it away. It's not real. It's not real. This is mm-hmm. where this stays. I leave this cabin. I mm-hmm. leave this behind. It feels super plausible to me. I took this a step further. And I before I get into this final theory... I have to say that this is just an allegation. There is no concrete. Uh, you hear that? <laughs> Jesus. I- <laughs> that ice cream truck. He was like, just an is allegation, baby. He is. I He's getting swear louder. to God. He is getting louder. He is getting trombones, trumpets. We have a whole, we're about to have a string section. Baby, a, in a full mariachi bit. They're getting a synthesizer next week. I got a newsletter. I got a newsletter. I can't. It's too much. Whole percussion section. But it always comes at like the time where I'm I'm trying to give a reveal or a setup or something. I'm like, this is just an allegation. He comes blaring out of the woodworks. All right. <laughs> So again, this is just an allegation, but this came from a Reddit thread. So of course, take it with a grain of salt, but it is connected back to a real person, I found out. 
So we get into this theory, which kind of plays off of a few different theories. This is talking about foul play. This is talking about potential of like something going wrong with a friend or like maybe a gay love interest. So it's a few different moving parts. But again, grain of salt. So this theory puts forward, um, or it was put forward, by an alleged former friend of Joshua before he died. So this is a bit of local lore for you guys. Now, Joshua had started hanging out with this guy in town. This is not the person who put forward the theory. Like, that's an actual friend of Joshua's. This is He's talking about mm-hmm. another former friend. He started hanging out with this guy named Andy after his brother's death. Andy was not known as a good guy. I think he's a little bit older than Joshua was. Um, but him and Josh were getting close, is what people knew. And apparently had talked about going on a trip to Mexico together which seemed really close to me. So Joshua mysteriously goes missing. And then this Andy guy, because don't forget, it's like seven years before anybody found Joshua. So there's no real like murder suspicion or anything. But as soon as Joshua went missing, Andy got out of town. Andrew Richard Newbin got out of town, went to Mexico, stayed in Mexico. So they started to notice before he left that he was exhibiting some strange behavior, was acting a bit paranoid, this Andy guy. Then years later, Andy guy is wanted for murder in Mexico. <gasps> hmm No. So trial gets a ton of delays, like back-to-back delays because they're, I don't know, the defense is arguing. They're like, well, he's not mentally fit. Like, he's crazy. Oh, my God. I'm so mad. I got pictures for you. I haven't been sending you pictures. God damn it. I'm so mad. Hold on. If it's up the chimney, uh, thank God. Um, No, I, I haven't seen pictures of the chimney. Do you know what Joshua looks like? I do. You do? He's okay. got kind of long hair. You know what? I think the most relevant picture I can send you right now, since we're this far into the story, is a picture of Andy. So let me go ahead and drop okay. that in the chat. Sorry to like break the momentum of that. But the second like I was saying his name, him. I was like... What's wrong with me? <laughs> All right. So this is a picture of Andy. I think when he was. <gasps> I know. Oh, my God. He looks like he got electrocuted. Uh, baby, I know. That is. Okay. It's heroin. Okay. You've got a, You've got a vision. I've got a, I've got a visual. <laughs> so he is wanted for murder, right? There are. Tons and tons of delays because they're trying to, like, argue in court. They're like, he's not mentally fit for trial. Eventually, the star witness of the case dies by 2011. So they end up dismissing the case. And I guess that's a strategy. Just, like, wait out until your witness dies. So at that point, um, there wasn't even a body for Joshua. It's 2011, and this guy's case had already been dismissed. Now, when all of this does get revealed, you know, with Joshua, people start coming forward trying to say, like... Back in the day, like when he first went missing, we were trying to warn police about this Andy guy, like because he seemed like he could have been connected to this. Apparently, or allegedly, somebody had claimed that Andy had confessed to them that he killed Joshua and that he hid the body in a hole somewhere. So it seems like a lot of fingers were pointing to him. But again, we have no motive. There's no evidence of a fight or a struggle either reported on the bodily on you know the body from bodily injuries or any evidence of that even in the cabin. So there's nothing to really support murder per se. So suddenly we are faced with another scenario that blends a few of these theories together. 
What if we suggest or say that it's allegedly a secret gay love affair between these two, right? So they have this routine together. They're getting close. People know them as getting close as friends. Maybe they take drugs together in the abandoned cabin, drugs that Andy gave him. Or maybe Josh gives him a drug and he doesn't even know about it. Or sorry, Andy gives Josh a drug that he doesn't know about and Josh ODs. Andy panics because he's like, it's all the things we talked about before. I'm going to be responsible because I gave this kid drugs. We're both going to be outed. So he, in this heightened state of impaired judgment, because he's on drugs too in this scenario, stuffs Joshua up the chimney while nude because they were in the middle of hooking up, blocks off the entrance to the fireplace just in case he fell down or to like, I don't know, mask the smell in case anybody ever came back and then immediately skips town right after, goes down to Mexico living with this haunting guilt of what he did back in Colorado. And in the middle of all that gets mixed up with a rough crowd where he eventually kills somebody in a fight. It tracks. Okay. But the thing that's, the thing that's, bothering me about it is that i don't think somebody that goes and gets um charged with murder in mexico mm-hmm. has the care to fold the clothing and that could have happened before though that's the thing is like if they're there to hook up with each other and they're getting nude together that could have been joshua yeah, folding his jo- like they're there they're hanging out joshua clearly has intentions and was spending the night out somewhere we don't know where he was sleeping over if he's saying he's sleeping, he I don't think he had a girlfriend at the time. Like, there's nothing to suggest, like, his parents thought he's sleeping over at his girlfriend's. He's like, I'm crashing at a friend's at 18. I'm crashing at a friend's. Something about that does read as possible affair to me. Like, yeah. in the yeah. closet affair. I don't know for mm-hmm. sure, but there's something in my gut that, like, makes this make sense for the nudity, for the abandoned cabin, the isolated place. Nobody's going to walk in on us or, like, catch us. So I'm thinking he gets there, he takes off his clothes calmly, places them on the ground like you would, like you fold things up because he's not rushed or scared or there's no threat. And then it could have been as benign as them doing drugs together and it got out of hand. Joshua dies. He ODs at 18. He's a small kid. He takes too much, tries to take the same as Andy, who's much bigger, a little bit older, ODs and dies. In the middle of this secret affair. It's such a shame that it was like seven years later because what they should have done was dust that whole freaking cabin for someone else's fingerprints. Oh, it it was a disaster too, because don't forget it's in the middle of the demolition. But also the second that they were like, yep, accidental kid definitely went up there by himself. Stupid. They're like good to demolish the rest of the crime scene. So we have zero chance of ever going back and looking at any of the evidence. But if that ain't county, <sighs> I know. I actually wonder, I don't know, how long do fingerprints last? Would they be there? I don't know. That's why I was saying. Yeah, would they be I there like, seven I, years I later? I don't know if seven years later. I I would imagine not, but. Me too. Dust would probably like would overtake think DNA that. would be. Yeah, I guess that's true. That, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, it's possible there could have been DNA. Yeah, especially if they were intimate or kissing or something. Mm-hmm. DNA could very well have been left on Joshua's clothing. Or at least maybe some on 
the breakfast nook if like he huffs mm-hmm. as he's like ripping it from the wall or something spits a little bit mm-hmm. it's far-fetched but it's possible i don't know well, it's a shame because we'll never know well never say never we've had eight cases not from this podcast but that we've covered on this podcast we have had eight cases yeah. that have had major breaks or solves since we've started so anything is possible i I would really like to see it with this one because the, uh, it really bothers me that it was just ruled as an accident. It's so especially lazy. Especially for those it's parents. It's so lazy and nonsensical. Does it feel, okay, does it feel like it was, how's it setting for you? I should ask because there's like several different scenarios running in my head, but I'm really, really leaning in the direction of a secret affair that went wrong with an overdose. Yeah. I I think that that's very, very plausible. I also think the idea of a dare or a prank Mm -hmm. is possible. Um, Though I don't know why he would get nude for that. I mean, that could be part of the prank. It could be part of the prank. Yeah. Like I dare you to climb up. I mean, people like make people do stupid stuff all the time. Mm -hmm. Like I dare you to like Mm -hmm. get naked and go climb up that chimney in that cabin. Like, Totally. He totally could have been that. And then it's what you're saying. Let's block him in. He panics and they're running out as he's slipping. And now he's stuck. And they're just thinking mm-hmm. like, oh, like we left him in there because he's like going to get out, you know, because I don't think the news actually broke for five full days that Joshua was technically missing, like his family reported him missing. Because at first they're like out doing their own thing, like reaching out to people going to homeless shelters because they've got the mindset they're like this kid ran away so the kids who like left him there they already thought he was like back home and by the time the news breaks they're like oh damn he he could still be there like he might be dead Mm -hmm. and i was just about to say wait let me toss that out because they would definitely have heard from him or like try to text him or something and be like lol like that was crazy but I guess it was the 90s where it was not the 90s. It was 2008. It was, like 19... it was 2008, oh. baby. OK, never mind. <laughs> well, 2008. Oh, he was born. Sorry. I was thinking he was born 1992. Did I sound aggressive when I just did that? I was like, it was not the 90s. It was not. <laughs> no, you better keep me in check. You better keep my timelines in check. Um, it's OK. I, I had that okay. Amityville horror well, episode where I was talking about like 1960 or something. I was like in the in a different decade. It happens. Uh, well, uh, here's the thing. I ruled myself out, though, either way, because A, they could have texted, but B, I just think there would be such a curiosity there if you did prank mm-hmm. that if you didn't hear from him, you'd be like, okay, we like need to go back and see what happened. Yeah. If you're actually in communication with him, if you guys are friends. But the thing is, you just brought up a really yeah. good point because I was like, well, if I'm leaning into this like whole gay love affair thing, I'm like, well, that is usually orchestrated and initiated, not always, but usually through your phone. But I'm like, well, they would have found evidence on his phone, wouldn't they? Unless he truly, truly was keeping it secretive because it's 2008 and a lot of people actually did not have iPhones because iPhones came out in 2006. So it's very plausible he did not have that kind of cell phone or maybe didn't even have a cell phone. So if this affair did start up with somebody else, it started as a friendship and just the two of them kind of hanging out solo, and then something started to spiral in secret. 
has anybody ever thought that like he was trying to commit suicide? Yeah. I mean, it's a very, very unusual way to do that, but it's definitely been tossed out. Yeah. Yeah. It's very possible. I I guess it's possible. Take off your clothes, block yourself in so that nobody sees you, which is kind of an extension of um, the psychological thing I was getting at before about how grief can manifest in somebody where they're so so low that they almost want to hide the depression from those Mm -hmm. around them. So if this was his final moment that he decided where he would take his own life, he wanted to make sure it was hidden and that Mm -hmm. people would not find him. His family would not find him for a long time. But again, there's no guarantee that you're going to die from doing what he did. You know, like I don't really know what he thought he was doing in there. If he was trying to take his own life, there'd have to be, there'd have to be another element. Like he purposely, like took a bunch of pills or something in the chimney, and then, yeah, maybe started to regret it and tried to get out. Like, uh, but that's the thing. It's like if he pulled himself, if he blocked himself in with the booth, he can definitely kick the booth out. Yeah, get out. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It just doesn't. I mean. From everything the coroner was suggesting, they think they said he was most likely alive in that chimney, which I still don't know if I agree with. But like, they think he died in there slowly. They think it was a slow death. That's so dark. Oh, my God. (sighs) Stu, that's really all I got for you on this case. I, I really wish I had more. I really do. I feel like I could run through theories on this one for days. I don't know what it is about it. It's it, just the... I know. It needs that, an extra puzzle piece. The, it needs something else. It does. Because because I feel like we're so close with the clothing and the booth. Mm-hmm. And I just can't figure out the logic between the two. I just can't. I need a witness statement or I need a confession. That's the additional piece mm-hmm. I need to like tie the whole thing together. But like if I had... I didn't see this anywhere online outside of like this initial theory about like, cause a lot of people were saying, yes, this Andy guy is somebody to look at, but it was definitely like they were friends and like something went wrong. Like it doesn't play into the gay love affair thing whatsoever. That's kind of a separate blending of theories. I would really need a witness to come forward and be like, no, there were rumors. Like there were whispers, like something was going on. Okay, one last theory. Mm-hmm. What if he dies, the person panics, Okay, is trying to shove him up into that chimney. For some reason, the clothes being on the body is not helping it stick up in there. Or for whatever reason, they decide to strip the body, fold the clothes up, mm-hmm. and then somehow get him shoved up in there nude, shuts it, oh, and then thinks to themselves, well, this is brilliant. Now the clothing's out here. It doesn't make any sense. Wait. So no one's going to. Wait, say that again? The last part about it? So. Like, like that now they look back and they're like, wait, I left the clo- Like I folded the clothes outside of the chimney. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of a perfect storm. Now if anybody comes in here, it just doesn't make any sense how the clothing would still be out here. And That's so calculated to think like. That, so, that we would be in so this. Calculated. I mean, what they're really thinking about is like, 
the aftermath of this, of people being like trying to speculate, like, how does that make any yeah. sense? I mean, but it could have literally been an accident. Yeah, it could have been. But I, I would imagine if they were in that position, their first thought would be like, oh my God, I left evidence outside of the place where, because like in your mind, if you're hiding the body up the chimney, the chimney is the place to hide everything that you did. To, and then you're sealing it off to leave a key piece of evidence that Joshua was here outside of that space to me would feel like a loose end. I would be like, I can't leave that there. But maybe you're right. Maybe they were I'm, much smarter and they were like, I, it will confuse people. Well, I was going to say, I don't even know if it would be calculating. I'm I'm almost saying it was a, it's dumb luck. Like they, they, like they, forgot, they forgot about it almost? Uh-huh. Oh. Yeah, because then it's stumping people like you and I. We can't figure out mm-hmm. how the heck the clothing and the booth add up. And yet, I don't know. Well, the only thing that throws that off, I, I'm totally tracking that like it's almost so nonsensical that it has to be a fluke. I'm The only thing that's throwing it off is that the clothes were not dirty with any soot or anything. Like mm-hmm. there was no evidence mm-hmm. that at any point he was going up or in that chimney with the, with the clothing on. So the clothing was most definitely mm-hmm. taken off and folded prior to the body being put in the chimney, whether it was him going up there or he was shoved up there. Mm-hmm. I almost wonder, well, okay, here's another thought. Oh God, no, this is so far-fetched. I was like, what if... Say it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm just trying to spin, like, slightly altered scenarios of what we're already, like, playing off of. But I'm like, okay, well, what if it's the OD thing where it's the gay love affair thing and whatnot? Because, I mean, what's so unusual, I think, about the body being stuffed up the chimney is that it truly did not look like it was stuffed upwards. Because he's found in, like, a a headfirst position as if he was falling from the top down. It just doesn't make sense because mm-hmm. we got the metal grate up there. Um, but that could make the most sense. You would think like gravity is doing most of the work if you're falling down and then getting crunched to the point where your your face meets your knees. So I was like, did he die inside the cabin? And they're like, I'm going to put him in the chimney. But the best way to like scrunch him in there is to go from the top, carries the nude body. I was just thinking The nude that. body to the roof, pulls up the grate drops him in so he gets like wedged in there because like clearly it's a small enough opening that like i guess it would be enough for like a thin like young body to fit in there but not fall completely through and then they close it up with the grate on top and then seal the bottom with the cabinet with the the little breakfast nook that could be something that's i mean that's what i was thinking because here's the other thing was the flue open like Oh, you know what? I actually don't know. That's a really, that's a really good question. Chuck Murphy, if you're listening, please contact us. <laughs> <laughs> because that, I still can't get, I, see, I'm so down with you for this mm-hmm. because I still cannot fathom somebody shoving a body up there, like with how gravity works. I cannot think of that. It seems and really difficult to I do. I just can't think of it in that position. Yeah, he's he's not a small guy i like he was like six feet tall i'm pretty sure like close to like 511 maybe so like that's a long body to like shove up mm-hmm. a chimney would almost suggest that like multiple people were involved really tough to prove though really tough so weird i know 
Kendra, you love to see us suffer. You love to see us squirm on these theories and just struggle, <laughs> struggle to form coherent thoughts. It's so I know tough. Kendra's been listening, just pacing around her apartment, you know, cleaning or doing whatever, just going, Mm-mm, that's not it. I know, that's I know. <laughs> just cackling at us, trying to come up with theories. For real though, but we we appreciate it. We love her. But we love her. Thank you for suggesting this case. And thank you to everybody for listening. I really wish we had more to go off of, but Stu, that is all I can think of for the Joshua Maddox case. <sighs> A collective sigh. I'm going to go turn on some Magna Garden. <laughs> I was going to say, I was like, back to the catacombs, back to the Contessa. <laughs> back to the... <laughs> Did you hear that? Wait, that could have been good merch lingo, though. Back to the catacombs, back to the Contessa. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Someday, if Ina ever becomes a creeper. That's she. Nancy Grace is here. Next. Ina's here. <laughs> like, <laughs> I know. Truly. Truly. But we're going to see Ina doing like a catacomb cooking class. Please. And we're going to be like, hmm. <laughs> I know she's watching. I know she's listening. I know. If you want to be a friend of the pod, please please let us know. Contact management. You know what it is. It's Ina, Reba, and Nancy. That's it. The day that those three become creepers, it's all over. That is the rapture. That's the rapture, baby. It's the holy <laughs> trinity. <laughs> What's a famous trio? That's Charlie's Angels right there. That's Charlie's Angels. That's, that's- all the women independent. Okay, it's time to wrap up. The second we start singing Destiny's Child, it's time. <laughs> it's time. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We really appreciate you joining us for the case. We'll be back next week with another episode of Creep Time. And until then, we will say goodbye. And good luck. Bye, guys. Bye, creepers. <laughs>